Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A friend of mine works at a church in Northern California. His name is Matt, short for Matthew. Guess what the name of his church is? St. Matthew's Lutheran Church. I used to have family down in Encinitas. I'd go and visit them, and I'd visit the Lutheran Church down there, St. Mark's Lutheran Church. My buddy Luke lives out in Arizona. He goes, and he's a pastor at a church. Its name is St. Luke's Lutheran Church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and? John. You did much better than 8 o'clock. I'm, I'm proud of you. <laughs> John the Evangelist. That's the name of our church, St. John's Lutheran Church. Our sister church is St. Paul's in Orange, San Pablo in Espanol. They are out selling tamales. Go get some after the service. My sister church up in the Bay Area was St. Peter's Lutheran Church in San Leandro. My sister church when I was up in Downey in Bell Gardens was San Pedro y San Pablo. St. Peter and St. Paul Lutheran Church, they had both. I used to preach at St. Philip's Lutheran Church in Compton. There used to be a St. Stephen's, Philip, uh, St. Stephen's Lutheran Church in Fullerton. When I was studying in St. Louis, we had the chapel of St. Timothy and St. Titus. There is, my friend, even a St. Michael Lutheran Church in, my name is Michael, by the way, in Indiana. A former professor of mine is the pastor of that church. Some of our churches, they want to be very inclusive. They want to get all those saints in there, and so they name their church All Saints Lutheran Church. Now, these churches aren't named after saints, these biblical believers, because they were somehow better than other people. No, we view them as saints because in their sinfulness, in their brokenness, in their low standing, God came into their life. God forgave them, renewed them, redeemed them, and recreated them for new life, new purposes. For the purpose of advancing the kingdom, the kingdom of grace and compassion and forgiveness and salvation. And so we say, in fact, that every believer is a saint. I am a saint. You are a saint. You are saints because God has called you holy in Jesus. And Jesus uses us to do great things in his kingdom. We celebrate that work in real people's lives, and so we dedicate our churches to God's work in their lives, and we name our church after these believers, these saints. Now, speaking of saints, I've never heard of a St. John the Baptist Lutheran church, have you? No, that sounds kind of confusing. Is he Baptist or is he Lutheran? People wouldn't necessarily get it. But speaking of St. John the Baptist, St. John the Baptist, he's been showing up in our gospel readings here all three weeks as we approach Christmas this Advent. He's preparing the way for the arrival of Jesus as he was born to do. Two weeks ago, we saw John the Baptist preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. Last week, we saw John struggling from prison with expectations. John the Baptist didn't expect Jesus to operate the way he was operating. He thought that Jesus would be a political king. But Jesus invited him and all the people to his kingdom. Not a worldly government, but a kingdom with a mission to make disciples of all nations by baptizing and teaching, transforming lives through mercy and grace and compassion and servant leadership and humility and forgiveness and sacrifice the gospel. Jesus invited John the Baptist and he invites all of us to that sort of lifestyle in his kingdom. 
A life that we talked about last week that is often beyond our dashed expectation. Last week we talked about our similarity to John the Baptist, that we too, we struggle with expectations. Expectations of God and how he should work in the world and in our lives. You remember the story of the Casio keyboard? Anybody remember that story I told last week? I expected to get it for Christmas 100%. Not only due to statistical probability, my friends, but due to my sneaky closet snooping as a child. Christmas came and my expectations were unfulfilled. There was no Casio keyboard under the tree. Well, this week, John the Baptist appears in Luke chapter 1, and we move from expectations to promises. You see, sometimes expectations are based on what we kind of think and we conjure up in our minds, but sometimes expectations are based on promises, and we only trust the promise as much as we trust the person making the promise, right? There are some people in your life, I know, they are very complete, they are trustworthy, right? We trust their word. When they say they're going to do something, they do it. Promise fulfilled. They hold up to their word. My word is my bond, they say. They keep their promises. John the Baptist is playing a minor role in our text today, and he's pointing to some promises. Promises not of a human being, but promises of God. He's in his mama's tummy. Her name is Elizabeth. She's around six months pregnant. And John the Baptist, he does some prenatal gymnastics, as my friends like to say. The main player on the scene is Mary. And the context is this. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary in Nazareth and told her that she would give birth to a son. His name would be Jesus, the Son of God. Verse 32 of chapter 1, Gabriel says, He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary hears that word, and she's wondering, How in the world is this possible? I'm not even married yet. The angel says to her, It will be possible by the Holy Spirit. Even your relative Elizabeth is pregnant. She's in her old age and barren. She's never had a child. And so Mary replies, Verse 38 I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word, may your promise to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. We see Mary there in humility. She is trusting. She is believing. She has faith in the words of promise from the angel from God. And so in the midst of that, that's the context of our gospel reading today. Luke chapter 1 verse 39. It says, at that time Mary got ready. And she hurried to a town up into the hill country of Judea. Now, you can't really see it in the English here, but the language, it sort of parallels actually the Old Testament journey of the Ark of the Covenant to the same location on way to Jerusalem. Mary appears to be fulfilling the purpose of the Ark of the Covenant. She is temporarily housing the imminent presence of the true God, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, within her. Power. Remember, the angel spoke to her, appeared to her in Nazareth. And if you look at this map here, I don't know if you can see it. She would have traveled to, from Nazareth down to the Jordan River, south along the Jordan River, over to Jericho, and then up to the hill country surrounding Jerusalem. 
80, 100 miles. It would have taken at least three, probably five days. Mary was most likely a devout believer because she knew the scriptures. She knew the stories of God's faithfulness. We're not exactly sure why she went up to that hill country to see Elizabeth. Was she going there to verify that Elizabeth was pregnant? Was she going there just to be with her cousin Elizabeth to process all that was going on? Was she getting away from Nazareth for a bit because of maybe some persecution or gossips or rumor? There's a lot of speculation, but as Mary journeyed, I cannot help but think. I cannot help but think that she was thinking back to all those stories of women in the Old Testament that were pregnant and God used them and their children to do great things, to fulfill promises. Maybe Hannah in 1 Samuel. Maybe the story of Abraham and Sarah and Israel being descended from a child of promise born to a couple in their old age. Mary had a lot to think about walking to Judea. She finally arrives, and in verse 40 it says, she entered Zechariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, that's John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love this image of these two women coming together. The older Elizabeth, the younger Mary, both pregnant. The older was barren, the younger a virgin, both miraculously carrying their sons and filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, verse 42, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary hears her cousin Elizabeth remind her of the promise, the promise spoken by the angel Gabriel. She calls the child within her, my Lord. Elizabeth keeps going and says in verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting, it reached my ears. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. That's John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, even from his mother's tummy. And in that moment, he's reinforcing the promise, the word from God to Mary about Jesus. Not only that Jesus would be born, but that his kingdom would never end. Elizabeth continues and says of Mary these powerful words, blessed, blessed is she who has believed, who has trusted, who has had faith, who has clung to the promise, to the word that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And those promises were quite a few. One, that she would be miraculously pregnant. She would give birth to a son. His name would be Jesus. He would be the son of God, the throne of David. He would reign over. He would reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's a lot of promises. Big words. Later on in Luke, we learn that Mary spent three months with her cousin Elizabeth. And I've often wondered, what did their time together look like? As they pondered the visions and the scriptures, the challenges of being pregnant, the fears and the joys that that brings, and the promises. Not only the promise of miraculous pregnancies and birth, but the promise that Mary would have a son, that he would be called the Most High, and the promise, the promise that his kingdom would never end. 
when you look at this scene, you look at the utter radical way God was coming into the world. It's so profound. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, God's purposes and plans are first revealed in a private meeting between two women on the edge of society. God chose an older, barren woman and a teenage virgin women, women who in that society held no place of prominence. God is using them in radical ways to usher in his kingdom and his reign and his son. Mary and Elizabeth, they teach us a host of things in this text. But the most profound thing to me is that Mary trusted. She trusted the promises made to her by God, that he would keep them, that he would fulfill them. She trusted that God would keep his word. You keep reading in Luke, you see it's called the Magnificat. You may have heard of it before. And she sings about God's goodness and his faithfulness. She says things about God being faithful not only to her, but to Israel and to all humanity. In verse 54, she says, God, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Here it is, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary's words, they catch us up into God's great work of the exodus and the promised land and the promise of a Messiah to come to bring mercy to all of Father Abraham's children. I am one of them, and so are you. And I'm amazed, amazed at how Mary trusted in those promises. Year after year, decade after decade. It kind of got me thinking about that whole Casio keyboard expectation I had three plus decades ago. Do you want to know what happened to the keyboard? Yeah, yeah I know you do. <laughs> You've been stalking me this whole week, all right? <laughs> Facebook, phone calls, messenger, texting, personal conversations. Somebody was out at my house last night asking about it. Everyone been asking me, what happened? Do you ever get that Casio keyboard? But my friends, I never got it. And I, when I finally divulged it, my secret of snooping around decades later, because I'm smart like that, no one in my family could remember why the keyboard was not under the tree. But guess what, my friends? I think I know why I never got it. As I was coming into work this past Tuesday, guess what was sitting on my desk? <laughs> It's a Christmas miracle, my friends. A Christmas miracle. Woo! It's taken me three plus decades to get this whole thing. It's awesome. I don't know if you can hear it. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Can you hear that? It's a mighty fortress. All right. Oh, Dr. Heidi's going to show me up. All right, all right. I'm in the key of C, okay? No, all right, all right. <laughs> you win, okay, all right, all right, all right. Oh, somehow Santa Claus picked up this keyboard from my house 34 years ago and dropped it off over at Lorna Riemann's house, Alan Lorna. Are they in the room? Where is, where's Lorna? Is she here this morning? There she is, right there. All right, thanks for letting me borrow it, temporarily borrowing the keyboard, all right? Oh, man, how funny it is. But 
It got me thinking quite a bit. This keyboard got me thinking quite a bit. It got me thinking about waiting. Waiting for something for three plus decades. Something of a much more profound proportion than waiting for a keyboard took three plus decades to realize. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the angel Gabriel made some promises to her, and she, she received some of them. Some of them were filled in that first year, right? The baby was born. It was a boy. It was named Jesus. But year after year, decade after decade, Mary, she waited and she trusted in the promise that God would keep his word, that her son's kingdom would never end. And when Jesus was 30 years old, he started his ministry, and her cousin, his cousin, John the Baptist, baptized him. And his ministry began. The promise that his kingdom would never end is rattling around in her heart and in her mind. Things were looking good. Jesus is doing miracles. He is doing healings. He is powerfully preaching. People are following after him. He has 12 disciples. People are listening. But then something happened. Persecution comes. He's almost stoned. He's almost thrown down the side of the hill. The crowds love him, but the, leader, the leaders, they can't handle him. He's getting too powerful. Finally, he's betrayed. He's beaten. He's mocked. He's whipped. He's humiliated. And Mary, his mom, watches him executed on a cross. Three plus decades she held onto the promise from God to her that her son's kingdom would never end. And he died on a cross next to criminals. Imagine the depth of faith and belief and trust to cling to the promises of God. When everything from a human perspective looks like God is lying. Mary, 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 did you know? Three days later, her son rose from the grave, and Mary knew. Mary knew the promises of God were fulfilled, and the promise that his kingdom would never end was true. And that promise was just getting started. 2,000 years later, we have 2.3 billion on the planet Earth that are part of that kingdom. There are billions more in paradise with Jesus at this very moment. Mary clung to the promise. Blessed is she who has believed, who has had faith, who has trusted, who has relied, who has utterly depended, who has clung to the fact that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And I guess, my friends... I wonder, as I wander through this text, this Advent, why haven't I ever been to a St. Mary's Lutheran church? I have no friends that are preachers there. I have no friends that are members there. I went on Google, and there's maybe one or two in the United States of America. Apparently in Germany, they're all over the place. But in the United States of America, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri, said that we do not have a St. Mary's. Lutheran Church. I hope we can learn a little bit from Mary this morning. I hope maybe we too can believe and trust 
and rely and utterly cling to the promises of God just like Mary. Year after year, decade after decade, even when it looks like God is lying to us. We learn from Mary to cling to his promises and that he always fulfills his promises. And in his son, Jesus Christ, we always get what we need for Christmas. And sometimes, my friends, he throws in a keyboard 34 years later. Thank you, Lorna. <laughs> Thank you. I'll give it back. I'll give it back. <laughs> All joking aside, my kids are like, are you ever going to let us play with this thing? So, maybe in 34 years you can. Uh, amen. My friend,